You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back to Distilling Theology. I'm your co-host, Blake Courtright, and I'm joined in person once again by the bad Baptist bear, Justin Van Riper. Hello there. Hello there. I'm here. What's going on, my dude? I am social distanced from you. We are distance about uh, three feet across this table, so, you know, <laughs> it's all good. It's yeah. all good, man. How's yeah. your week been? Stressful. Yeah, yeah same. Very stressful yeah. week. It's been, yeah, high tensions. Yeah. Um, got some craziness going on with work. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of life's stresses, but God is good. Yeah. And so uh, here we are. Um before before the Lord's Day, Amen. Uh, to have a little fellowship and uh, some some bro therapy. Bro, th- <laughs> that's good. I like that. Well, and we're also um, we're going to be tasting something that uh, we tried together. I believe the first time that we got together for our whiskey tasting uh, several years ago, mm-hmm. um, which I'm super excited for. We're actually, if you hear any other weird background noises, we are currently recording uh, in my foyer because. It looks really good for the Patreon video. So, you know, uh, we're sitting here. If I had the remote focus control um, for the Patreons right now, I would shift focus to our beautiful uh, Distilling Theology Vanna White Glen Karens. Uh, these were our small batch 001 Glen Karens, and we're so excited that people got them. And don't worry, there's more glassware coming in 2022. But wait, there's more. So, uh, <laughs> brace for that. You're not going to want to miss it. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, and get this out of the out of the tin and pour us and then pour us some of this. And Justin, you can read off the tin while I do that and tell us uh, a little bit about what we're sipping today. Gladly. So this is Glendronic 12. Uh, as you guys can see, it is matured in the finest Pedro something. Uh, Pedro and Orlo so, Yep. And Orloso Sherry Casks from Spain. Uh, it is a Highland single malt Scotch whiskey, uh, non-chill filtered, natural cask imported color. And, um, yeah, there's some interesting tasting notes here, which I'm not going to read off. <laughs> Don't spoil the film. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm excited. It says deep in the East Highland. I could go on and read oh, this whole thing. It, but, okay. Deep in the East Highland Hills, the Glendronic Distillery has been quietly perfecting sherry wood maturation since 1826. Our founder, James Allard, Allardiche. Yes. Yeah, boy. <laughs> built his distillery in the fertile landscape of the Orgu County <laughs> Valley, I mean, <laughs> and named it Glendronic, which means Valley of the Brambles in Scots Gaelic. Here, he discovered the rich depths of sherry wood maturation, marrying Scottish spirit to Spanish cask. I'm excited. I don't know about yeah, you. Yeah, dude, this is, so this is one that gets described frequently as a, quote, sherry bomb. Um, because of all of the aging that's happening here. Uh, I, I also love Glendronic for the fact that they're non-chill filtered. Uh, there's no color added. 
and uh, yeah, they're always they're age stated. So we also have here for for our Patreons, you can see behind us, um, we have the Glendronic Twelve, uh, the Glendronic Fifteen Year Revival, which was um, named so because they used to have a fifteen year whiskey, and then they discontinued it, and then they revived that uh, that aging one. We also have the Glendronic Peated. Um, which I'm super excited for the day we get to taste that. I've been holding on to that since August of 2020. Yeah, so, you know, I've been, I've been keeping that for a, for a good day. Um, but today is not that day. Today is uh, a different good day mm. uh, in which we're going to be tasting this Glendronic 12 year. Now, what are you getting on the nose? Oh man, this is a delicious, fruity, creamy, uh, whole glass of sweetness. I mean, there's, there's, I get a little fruits, strawberry shortcake. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's very like strawberry shortcake and vanilla ice cream. Now that you mentioned that creaminess, like I definitely get that sweet, like that vanilla cake, vanilla ice cream, strawberries. Um, it, it's, it's rich, but it's not so dark as like Bunahaven was yeah. or as some of the other things that yeah. we've tried. It's got a, a lighter, brighter richness. To there's it. definitely still like dark, uh, dark fruit notes. But they're not, oh, yeah. not like, um, it's not like cramming them up your nose. <laughs> no, yeah. It's like, like there's more strawberry, maybe even a little bit of cranberry going on to, to balance cherry. out. Yeah. To balance out like those richer plums um, and, and maybe some dates that are under the back there. Oh, man. This is my kind of scotch right <laughs> here, I'm telling you. Uh, and MSRP on this bad boy is around $65 uh, US dollars. So like, it's not a bad price for a 12-year aged, non-chill filtered, no color added, really amazing scotch from an amazing distillery. Um, we also had the 15-year uh, Tawny Port finish mm-hmm. like two years ago, and that yeah. was absolutely out of this world. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. This is phenomenal. not as subtle as that one, but it is, uh, but it's quite good, you know. Oh, smells phenomenal. Yeah, I just, every time I smell something like this, I'm like, I just want a cologne. I just yeah, smell dude. this way all the time. And there is that faintest hint of, which you get from that oak maturation, right? There's that faint hint sure. of baking spices, but it's not super pronounced. Very subtle. At the Very moment, subtle. maybe a little dust of nutmeg, but it's not super like, like some whiskeys, it's like, this is a, a punch of cinnamon or a punch of brown sugar or something, but that's much more subdued here. Um, the fruit is very forward. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, oh man. Let me read their, their nosing notes real quick before we, before yeah. we cheers. How do we do? So their nose says sweet, creamy vanilla with hints of ginger and autumn fruits. Okay. Oh, now that they, okay. So that's where I'm getting that little bit of bite, that yep. slight gingery, fresh ginger note, which by the way, fresh ginger in cocktails is just absolutely <laughs> my jam. Yeah. It is so good. I'm going to do a real quick thing. Make sure we're still streaming. All right. We are, we are live. And again, Patrons, I apologize for uh, the audio technical difficulties, but everyone else, you're experiencing the audio without the the great visuals here. So you know <laughs> these visuals are phenomenal this time <laughs> around. I mean, we look good. This is a good looking backdrop. I mean, it is very professional. We we have leveled up thanks to our Patreons. Uh, I'm not going to hit the sound. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to, but I didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but on that note, I think it's time to uh, to cheers in. and taste this. We got to figure out how we're going to do this in front of a in front of a mic. All right, cheers. Thank you. 
I wish you could see Justin's face right now. If you're on Patreon, you can. Um, mm, chef's you, kiss. You should join just to see the reactions. Mm. This is so good, man. It's uh, warming. It's pleasant, but it's not. It's not that burning sensation like last week when we had the stag junior. That was like my yeah, that esophagus was, yeah, that was, on fire. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it. All, it, it was. It was. It's so um, calm that it was almost yeah. cooling, and yeah. and the heat doesn't really hit until it's settled in. Yeah. And yeah. but it's an it's initial uh, sort of sweet, cool nature. Very. Um, it's not strong. And so it's, it, you know, we like not, we try not to use smooth too much, but it's incredibly smooth. Um, very, very creamy mouthfeel. Yes. And it just coats the whole mouth when you sip yep. on it. It's like, and the finish is reasonably long too. Yep. The fl- the flavor is a lot like the smell, you know, you, yeah. it, it's just, it kind of brings that whole joyful sm- s- uh, smell right into your palate. You know, you get the, you got the vanilla, you got the, the sort of creamy, fruity, strawberry t- type, uh, sweetness it's very delicious yeah man i am i want to fill my whole glen with this thing and just yeah well we're not all we're not, after, all afternoon just sip away i was gonna say we're not doing that because we're not um chugging theology <laughs> but uh you know <laughs> got him chugging theology <laughs> well it depends which guest we have on uh that's, sometimes it's chugging oh. theology Yeah, no, this is good. So, so what are you, um, what flavors, I know you said it's similar, but what flavors are you noticing specifically on the palate? Yeah. Um, very light in the fruit department. Um, it, it's not like super strong, uh, but definitely very subtle strawberry sort of cream. Um, a little bit of, of, of that ginger, but not certainly not overwhelming. Um, it's not, it's not, it's not sickly sweet. Um, it's just a very subtle flavorful, kind of light um i don't know it, it's it's joyful it's a, it's a it's a bright and joyful scotch this scotch is like reading a comforting psalm as you're going through a difficult season of life <laughs> which which flavor did you guys get oh we got the we got psalm <laughs> okay but but for those of you that are in the dt facebook group you probably saw this so um we're recording this on a saturday uh, a few nights ago, my wife and I were sipping some Russell's Reserve bourbon, and she's not as much into whiskey tasting, so she took a, a smell of it, and she just got like just the ethyl, ethanol scent, which that'll happen. She goes, I'm, get, bourbon. "I'm getting nail polish remover," <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? You know, I'm not getting that note." Um, but I think she, yeah, she posted that in the group. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but gratefully, you know, praise the Lord, we uh, we we powered through, and that's the thing, right? Um, Justin and I have been doing these tastings together for now several years and my brother and I did them for several years before Justin and I ever started and at first yeah you, you kind of just get ethanol like yeah. it, it and it's been a long time since we talked about that process right but like it is an experience and it is an exercise somewhat in subjectivity right mm-hmm. because we're saying okay I'm kind of perceiving this and I'm kind of perceiving that and and honestly like listening to other people and, and talking through it has been tremendously helpful yeah. um so if you ever listen to these episodes, if you have any of these whiskeys handy, like listen along with us and smell and see what you get and then taste and see what you get because it's a lot of that like Yeah, there's not like a there's not like a right or wrong answer. Um nope. I mean unless you're you're sipping Lagavulin and you're like, "Ooh, it tastes like cherries." I mean, yeah. then then you're not drinking Lagavulin, but no. 
Um, but generally speaking, there there is a lot of there is a lot of uh, variety because it depends on people's palates. You know how developed sure. is your palate? What are you used to? It's like it's like anything, right? There's a lot of things that are acquired tastes, like coffee or beer. Um, some people will start, you know, trying varieties of coffee, and it's not till you really spread out your, what you've uh, experienced till you start to notice the differences between the two, and you can appreciate. Um, appreciate the differences in, in what's in what's been put behind sure. creating them as well. Well, for example, if all of you all you've ever had is raisins, then a sherried scotch, you'll probably be like, this reminds me of raisins. But if you've right. also tried dates and you've had plums and you've had other types of fruit, you'll have a broader thing to compare it to. And then also, you know, as we're theologians and we're, uh, you know, everyone's a theologian and, and we read the word of God, like we approach the word with humility um, and letting scripture interpret scripture scripture uh is a little bit like us reading off reading the tasting notes off the actual bottle right and seeing not just some guy's opinion but what did the distiller intend um because like i said we've we've discovered things when we hung out with distillers you know we'll see things they didn't necessarily see or intend but like they have an intention of what they were trying to achieve right um which is pretty good so let me let me get that real quick here how do we do so their palate description is rich creamy silky smooth it's about right warm Rich oak and sherry sweetness, a full mouthfeel, raisins and soft fruits. Uh, and the finish is long, full, and firm, and slightly nutty. So, yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan. And that's also helpful, too. Like, talk about them with your friends when you do a whiskey tasting or listen to some bums like us on a, on a podcast. <laughs> um, but then read the descriptions from the actual people that put their blood, sweat, and tears into making this stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. it's a great exercise, and, and I'm a big fan of it. <clears throat> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, speaking of hermeneutics, <laughs> we we need them uh, on the Lord's Day when we gather in worship. And uh, yeah. speaking of that, Justin, I, I put a bookmark there in Valley of Vision for us. Uh, if you would lead us in prayer uh, that we desperately need today. We desperately need it every day, my friend. Amen. Amen. Guys, if you have a Valley of Vision, turn to page 358. Uh, we're going to be reading about worship since that will be indeed the topic we are talking about today. Glorious God, it is the flame of my life to worship thee, the crown and glory of my soul to adore thee, heavenly pleasure to approach thee. Give me power by the Spirit to help me worship now, that I may forget the world, be brought into fullness of life, be refreshed, comforted, blessed. Give me knowledge of thy goodness, that I might not be overawed by thy greatness. Give me Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, that I might not be terrified, but be drawn near with filial love, with holy boldness. He is my mediator, brother, interpreter, branch, daysman, lamb. Him I glorify. In him I am set on high. Crowns to give I have none. But what thou hast given I return, content to feel that everything is mine when it is thine and the more fully mine when I have yielded it to thee. Let me live wholly to my Savior, free from distractions, from care ta- from carking care, from hindrances to the pursuit of the narrow way. I am pardoned through the blood of Jesus. Give me a new sense of it. Continue to pardon me by it. May I come every day to the fountain and every day be washed anew that I may worship thee always in spirit and in truth. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're going to be jumping into the topic of 
church polity, um, <laughs> worship. Uh, obviously, Blake and I are brothers in Christ. We believe very closely uh, theologically on most things, um, and we could uh, easily both join each other in worship on the Lord's Day and not feel like we're not at home. Yeah. Um, and yet we do have some disagreements, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, so Blake is of the Presbyterian flavor, uh, and I am a particular Baptist flavor. Uh, we're both popsicles, <laughs> but, but we're different flavors. And so uh, we want to talk briefly just about what church polity even is, if you haven't heard that term before. Um what is church polity? What is church governance? What does that look like? Um, and why is there differences between us um, and all these things? So we're just going to kind of do a quick introduction to to church to church polity. So yeah, <laughs> the more you know, the more you know. Um, yeah, Justin laid that out really well. So obviously, the major differences between Presbyterians and particular Baptists that people usually jump to is on baptism. However, and and some of the people in our group, particularly our boy Andrew Owen, have been bringing up issues of polity or church governance, right? Or or how the church is operated and structured. And in this episode, we're just we're just teasing out the topic. We're not going to dive too far into it. Uh, we plan to have some guests on in the next couple of weeks and months to talk about this in more depth and mm-hmm. see, particularly pastorally and and from elders, like what does this actually look like in practice? Um, because of all the doctrines of the Christian life, when you start to get into church polity and ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church, um, I, I would say more than in a lot of areas, there's so many immediate practical effects of that doctrine, right? Yeah. How we operate our churches. So, so polity is a subset of ecclesiology, which is a, a, a heading within systematic theology, right? Ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, which covers many facets, and polity being the governance or the organization of that church. Um, I, I would yeah. say, why, you know, you may be asking, why is this important? Um, <laughs> once we're done, you'll know why it's important, but it's very easy to just look at the state of the church now in the West, generally speaking, the modern church, and you'll see what a lack of any sort of real biblical polity looks like. Um, I mean, you have all kinds of ridiculous things happening in churches now uh, on the Lord's day, especially, oh, yeah. you know, you have, uh, <laughs> you have some made up sacraments. You got uh, all kinds of weird types of worship. You got, um, you know, laser lights and smoke machines and uh, jeans tight enough that uh, you can see their skin seeping through the seams. Um <laughs> It's really, really distracting and disturbing. Um, my dad and I have actually been talking heavily on church polity lately because we're really uh, working towards reforming our church's uh, polity. And uh, there's just a lot of a lot of things. When we, when we look back at church history, right, you used to walk into church on the Lord's Day, and, and there was a shift in your countenance, your mood, your... There was a, a sense of reverence and awe. You know, you'd walk in and it wasn't like, you know, hey, Bob, how's it going? You know, let's grab some coffee. You know, it was like you came in and you were prepared to be humbled and to be right. taught and to be edified uh, by the leadership on God's character and on his word and and to join together with the saints, worshiping him. Get, right. We come to church now for us. <laughs> we should yeah. be going to church for him. It's not about us. Right, the Bible's not about us. 
Uh, we, we take part in it. We, we are a part of it. Uh, we have our place, but it's not at the forefront. Um, and the same thing applies with the Lord's Day. It's not about, well, I need to go to church because I need to feel refreshed or I need to. No, those that may be a benefit that you receive. Oh, yeah. But that's not the purpose for going to church on the Lord's Day. And we right. go because we are commanded to and because we love God and we want to glorify him. Um, and so he's given us rules on how to do that. We can't just make it up, right? And um, and so obviously if we disagree on what those things might look like, it's important to discuss, yeah. um, especially since we're brothers and we care about one another and we love each other. And so we obviously want each other to pursue what we believe is true uh, and, to, and to not fall into error. Um, and so... You know, we'll sit here and duke it out. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, this is the this is the episode that you've all been waiting for. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm pretty sure that was the baptism ones that uh, that in eschatology. Yeah, where the the Baptists were dunking on the Presbyterians, the Presbyterians were raining on the Baptist parade, so uh, or sprinkling, as it were. Uh, anyways, so what do our confessions say about the church, about the gathered assembly? Like, what is the purpose of the Lord's Day? I have the Westminster Confession. I believe. Uh, that also has the confessions in it. If not, I have the full study Bible. Nope. Oh, sadness. I also have the London Baptist right up there uh, as well. So, I mean, I got it on my phone too. True, true. Uh, we're trying to figure out the best way to do this. Again, we haven't recorded in person since last week, and then we were way out of practice. So it's uh, it's quite quite amusing. Reformedstandards.com, people. Dude, great. this is the way. Thank you guys for great, maintaining great that site and, and making everything nice and cataloged and uh, connected with relight.app for the scripture references. Um, so one thing I wanted to say about this is when we get into the doctrine of the church, right? What does the Westminster Confession say of the church? And this is chapter 25. Um, uh, so it's just like, what is the church, right? And I think this is an area where the, I, I would imagine our confessions are very similar here. Uh, Article 1, the Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So I think that's like a pretty good summation of like, what do we mean when we say church? Uh I know that it's really clever and people think they're really amazing when they, I mean, and I'm guilty of this too. Like, Oh look, the church is, the church is a people, not a place. Like Asgard is not a place. It's a people. And, and there is right. I, yes, we are aware that the church is not the building, but we reference that as because on the Lord's day, when we, the day that is set apart for worshiping the Lord together with the gathered church, with the, the gathering of believers takes place in a particular circumstance, right? And we talked about this with Les Lanfear back in episodes 9A and 9B uh, when we talked about um, uh, the regulative principle of worship in his film Spirit and Truth, right? The church gathers in circumstances. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll say I'm going to church. Now, obviously, I don't think the building itself is church in the sense that uh, it is, you know, in and of itself, some kind of superstitious nonsense about it being more important. And yet there is something sacred, as you alluded to, right? That mm-hmm. There is a sacredness to coming together with the body of believers in the same place week after week to gather um, and to worship God in spirit and truth and with right, rightly ordered worship. Um, and the confession goes on. I won't read all of it, but uh, it says like the purest churches under this is article five, the purest churches under heaven are subject to both mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no church of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. 
Nevertheless, there shall always be a church on earth to worship God according to his will. Um, and you can cite the scripture references there. Um, that last line particularly has quite a few references. And that's an encouragement, right? The Lord will preserve his people. He will yeah. preserve his church. Yeah. And so the gathering together of the saints, right? The, the, the ecclesia, the, the gathering, um, well, the right. called out ones, right? Like right. W- there's no church, there's no communion without communing right uh you know like and and i'm not saying that to be witty or clever i'm just it's like it's like the ben shapiro meme like where where does communion say we have to gather with the saints it's in the word commune (laughs) like it's literally there get out of here you communists (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i mean it the whole point is right that the church are, are are uh the members of the church are called and they're manifesting uh the evidence of being called by communing right what does this what does the scripture say they will know that the father sent the son by how by the way we won't love one another how do we love one another if we're not communing together right how are we loving one another if we live in the woods and never see anybody right as, as much as, as, as that sounds. as much as i would like to do that right we're called not to forsake the gathering Correct. of the body as and, is the custom of some right. right and and why do we and again gathering includes being in person that does not mean streaming on the internet. Right. So you can't, the the eldership of your church, the leadership of your church cannot examine the body and seek to shepherd the body. If the body's not there. Right. Right. If you're, if you're watching, look, there is a benefit to technology. And for those who are unable, perhaps by way of health or other reasons, um, unable to join in person, there is some benefit in hearing the word preached through a camera. I get that. Uh, And there may be a time where that's uh, considered wise. If you have a very contagious disease and you're sick, you don't want to come spread that among, right? You know, how do we love our neighbor? Well, that obviously would include not, you know, bringing your, your uh, disease uh, to the church. However, uh, fear of disease when you're not sick is not a reason not to gather. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> because we're called to live without fear, right? Uh, and we're called not to forsake the gathering. So there is no excuse right. if you're healthy and you are part of a local body, which you ought to be, uh, there's no reason for you to forsake the gathering for any reason unless it's urgent. Right. And also, the um, I love the old podcast intro where you know they do their whole spiel mm-hmm. and then at the end it says, if you're a Christian, your butt better be in a pew on Sunday. And like, it's funny and it's snarky, but at the same time, as I've grown in my understanding of reformed theology beyond just, yay, tulip and Calvinism and predestination. Like once I got outside of that bubble, yeah. then it was like, whoa, wait a second. Like the doctrine of the church and the doctrine of worship and the doctrine of the sacraments are so rich. Like these are life giving yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like there was that really unfortunate post about taking communion at home and people saying like, really, like I, I, I know it was well-intentioned and I know it was an ignorance. So I don't want to come down too hard on people. But at the same time, like, really, we're talking, we're, we're, we're flippantly talking about taking the Lord's Supper alone with and, and pretending to, well, I'll say pretending to take the supper using Doritos and Mountain Dew. Like right. if, if we don't see, if, a, if a, a flag doesn't go up, if a red light doesn't go off when we hear that. Like we need to check our doctrine of the sacraments and and examine and say, okay, why has the church rejected this kind of thing, right? right. And right. this isn't an episode about the supper. Go check out seventy seven with my pastor. 
I think he covers this well. And, and I'd love to have him back to dive really deep into the reform view, not just yes. give us that blanket, because I think it's really substantive. And I don't, I don't just say that in the Christ, the substance of, yeah. of the covenant, yeah. but at the same time, right, I, I can't tell you how much richer my experience has been in a reformed church with reformed sacraments yep. than... And, and I want to point yeah. out, too, uh, for my Baptist brethren, uh, we don't disagree, truly, historically, we don't disagree on even what the Lord's Supper is, right? It's, it's just a matter of to whom it applies, um, right. which is why I'm more comfortable taking the Lord's Supper, for example, with Blake's congregation than I would be uh, in a church that does it merely memorially. Right. Uh, because it's not merely memorial. And I think that's something that snuck into a lot of Baptist churches, unfortunately, through through fundamentalism and all kinds of oh, yeah. other issues when we strayed from historic confessionalism. Um, well, and that's an interesting phenomenon, too. And right. I think uh, Kim Riddlebarger teased at this a little bit when it came to um, his upbringing at, in dispensational fundamentalist Baptist views. Right. A lot of what had happened to American evangelicalism was a response to the abuses people were seeing, right? Yeah. But but that's why we we don't want to be reactive, right, in, in anything, but especially when it comes to the sacraments, especially when it comes to the preaching of the word. But what had happened, I, and this is my own observation off the cuff, right, but you, you probably had, on the one hand, the staunch intellectualism of the post-Enlightenment era, and on the other hand, you had the just like wacky, superstitious stuff and you had the catholic doctrines right and so so the the foils i would imagine would be humanistic enlightenment enlightenment view on one hand and catholic mysticism and superstition on the other yeah you definitely have a pendulum swing away from away from the catholic yeah. you know their their literal transubstantiation stuff you right. know and all that so uh and so yeah yeah the pendulum swing say, relatable right <laughs> but like then you got the pendulum swing to say oh well there's, there's not even spiritual presence, you know, it's just, right. we're doing it in map. It's like, no, that there's truth. And then there's extremes on both sides. Um, it, it's like, it's, it's just like the swing from, from, uh, Arminianism to hyper Calvinism. Right. There is a middle ground in its biblical Calvinism, which is just biblical truth. Right. Um, but people don't like that. Every time I've debated somebody, I'd say nine times out of 10 over Calvinism, they're fighting me against, Hyper Calvinism and determinism. Right. They're yeah. not talking about biblical historic orthodoxy. No. Which which I love what Sproul said. Uh he, he said it's just a Calvinism is just a term or Reformed theology is just a term to uh kind of identify uh historically the purest form of the biblical gospel that we've maintained throughout the centuries. Um yeah. I'm I'm sorry if you don't like labels, but labels exist and they're helpful. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not being exclusivist to say, and we've talked about this, right, to say John MacArthur is not Reformed. Right, There's and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's he's just... He's a wonderful Bible teacher. Right, he's just, he's not confessional, he's dispensational, right. and he has a few lordship salvation things that are troubling, that are, that are worth right. calling out, but that doesn't mean that I'm like, he's not a Christian, he doesn't, like, that's if, not what I'm saying. If we get, if we get, <laughs> if we get picky enough, you know, I, I'm happy to say that Baptists aren't Reformed, historically speaking... Right? Shocking. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I had I had to throw that one in there just, just for the record. I um, mean, as the so term yeah. as the term has been historically used since, you know, the Reformation, yes, we could call ourselves Reformed Baptist, but colloquially speaking, just because of how close we are theologically, but sure. but if we if we go down to its purest 
form. Uh, no, there was the particular Baptists, and then there was the Reformed Pedo-Baptists. Right. There was a distinction there. I'm okay with that distinction. I think we should make Baptists particular again. But, uh, <laughs> but it is helpful to say, look, yes, I'm a Reformed Baptist. I'm not a Independent Baptist. I'm not a. Fa-. And a lot of people don't right. know what particular Baptist means, but they may know what Reform means. So it it can be helpful sure. uh, to point people in the right direction. But then you got then you got within that lumped in you have you have uh, folks like my 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 friend uh, Jeff Durbin, you know, 20th century Reformed Baptist, not a Federalist, no. con- slightly contradicting the Confession and things oh. like that. Uh, just just by nature of, of and there's nothing again nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, it's not like it's it's kind it can be like splitting hairs, but um, but there are some important uh, results of that. You know, sure. Um, Right. Well, and, I, and we, theonomy is a good example. <laughs> sure. And and like, right. Both the Westminster and the London Baptist preclude a theonomic conclusion. And that's why most of the people that you see that are really like holding a theonomic view are outside of those confessions or they have, they have veered away. Like, like Carl Truman mentioned that in episode 40, right? right. That, that if there's a Presbyterian who's holding that view, they have gone outside of the confessional bounds of like what historic Presbyterianism teaches. Um, and circling back, now that we're talking about uh, theocracy and, and, and government, like so church government, right? How, do, how does the church run? We're, we're not trying to uh, bring in the, the views of the world and, and, and hierarchy like that. If someone thinks that church government's about hierarchy and power structures, uh, they're probably drinking the Twitter Kool-Aid. Yeah, like, well, and, and, they, and they may be basing that on seeing the modern church being run like a corporation. Sure. Right? I mean, a lot of the churches are run like businesses now. How to maximize how many people you get in your doors, and it's like that's not evangelism, right? And <laughs> chances are, if your church is like that, you're not preaching the gospel anyway. <laughs> and if you are, it's watered down. And so, yeah, it, look, I think there's also in in I think this is important. I think there's also been a confusion about the Lord's Day and what church even is, right? The Lord's Day is not for the unbeliever. Right. When you got churches who are, you know, seeker sensitive and all these things that are designed for the unbeliever every week, your, your church congregants are not being, they're not growing. They're not being edified. If every week you're saying the same types of things in order to try to save people, you're not doing church, you're doing evangelism. And that's not what the Lord's day is for. Um, it's for the saints to come together and to be taught and to be edified, to be admonished and to, and to worship and to glorify God, and it's for the believer, right? The Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is is designed for us to grow and to be sanctified, and that's not evangelism, right? There's there's a, it's a different job, right? They're distinct, and and it's not to say the pastors don't evangelize, and it's not to say we don't have the right. call to repent, believe the gospel every week. Like our church and Absolutely. every Presbyterian church I visited has a a part of the service where the pastor or an elder will read uh, the call to repent and believe the gospel, which is taken right out of scripture. Yeah. And then we'll have a time of private confession of, uh, of sin and then corporate confession of sin, which is usually adapted from a Psalm or sometimes the Valley of vision where we'll all read together aloud as the church body and confess our sins to the Lord. Right. And then the pastor will read another part of scripture, the assurance of pardon. Uh, which is where our, our buddies Assurance of Pardon podcast get their name, right? And and that is one of one of the highest points for me, week after week. Absolutely, is to sit there and to, to hear the word condemn sin, to confess sin to God, 
both individually and corporately, and then to hear from the word of God declared assurance of pardon to say, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. Mm. Week after week, to, to hear that is such an encouragement, and it's so much richer than just the, this passive, gentle, uh, you know, trying to woo people in. It's like, no, yeah. sin is real. And and then when we have the sacraments, right, when we take the supper, the pastor gives a stern warning. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, do not partake. Right. And and come and speak with us after if you want to learn, and, and we, we pray that you would come to Christ. But this is for believers who are repentant, Right. I want to read real quick from the the Westminster here of religious worship and the Sabbath day. This is chapter 21 and uh, I'm in article one here. The light of nature showeth that there is a, that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all is good and doth good upon all and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in and served. That's Romans one. Like we, uh, we talked about last week, right? With all the heart and with all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited Mm. by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the innovations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. So right there, there's our uh, second commandment interpretation as Reformed believers, and and I believe it's the exact same in the London Baptist, right, or at least in the the catechisms. God is not to be worshipped by images. He has explicitly forbidden this. And so we are to worship him in spirit and truth as the word commands. Now, it goes on in Article 5, the reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and consciousable hearing of the word in obedience to God with understanding, faith, and reverence, singing of psalms with grace in the heart, as also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by Christ are all parts of of the ordinary religious worship of God, beside religious oaths, vows, solemn fasting, and thanksgiving upon special occasions, which are, in their several times and seasons, to be used in a holy and religious manner. But I want to focus on that, right? The reading of the word, the sound preaching, and the consciousable hearing, right? right? And also, the, <laughs> and also right, yeah. it's not just the, the due administration, but worthy receiving, consciousable hearing of the word preached, Worthy receiving of the sacraments, meaning this isn't a one-way street where the pastor labors all week and prays on the Lord's Day and shows up and works really hard, and and we come in with our coffee five minutes late and Mm. sit there and say that was encouraging and leave. Like We're supposed to prepare our hearts for worship. We're hearing the word of God. Like, And and I'm preaching to myself here because I've been there. I've shown up five minutes late with my thing, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and, and come in distracted, and it ought not be so. Right, we we need to recognize that. Right, Article Eight. This Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering of their common affairs beforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employments and recreations, but also are taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of His worship. And in the duties and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Yeah. So that's why we're like, yeah, if, yeah. if you're a paramedic, like if you're and a nurse, like if you're there, like those are duties of necessity and mercy. Right. Me watching a football game and drinking beers in the afternoon is not a is not a work of necessity. And that's something yeah. like I've become convicted of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean I was never doing those things on a Sunday anyway. Typically, right. I mean, it wasn't maybe football the Super for me, Bowl, but, but like yeah, that, yeah, but yeah, no, we we 
we get so distracted, you know, looking at our watch, you know, when's the service going to be over, blah, 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 blah. And this should be a place where we feel comfortable and at home where we, we don't want to leave, you know, right. where we're, we're enjoying glorifying God in a way that it feels like home and, yeah. and we want to continue to do so, you know, and there's, yeah. and there's things that are, that are prescribed to do, right? We call it the regulative principle of worship and, uh, we we both ought to hold to such a thing because it's important to like historically we've strayed from that when we started jumping on the bandwagon of the normative principle, right? This idea that we can do anything that God hasn't strictly forbidden, but look, look at how that's turned out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> look at Aaron's sons, right? <laughs> that didn't, uh, that was a, 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 a hot mistake <laughs> as <Aww>. it were. <laughs> um, and so, uh, they were fired from their job. <laughs> Congratulations. You played yourself. Oh, no. Oh, that was so bad. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, uh, no. <laughs> so, we need to recognize that both historically and in what we see commanded in scripture is that we only are to do that, which is prescribed by God yes. on the Lord's day. Um, and therefore uh, there is an order to our worship, right? There are things that we are called to do. Um, Crazy. <laughs> right. You can't tell um, me what to do. You're not my dad. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> right. The, the, the London Baptist talks about prayer with Thanksgiving being part of natural worship. You know, it is required by all men, right? Are we praying every week, right? Um, You know, there's just, there's a list of things that you can go through, uh, right? The reading of scriptures, the preaching and the hearing of the word, the teaching and the admonishing of one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, Mm. uh, the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? There's only two ordinances, y'all. Two sacraments, dos. Get out of here, papists. Uh, uh, they're all parts of religious worship to be performed in obedience with him to him with understanding faith and reverence right we've greatly lost reverence in the church uh with godly fear right that there should be a mood when you walk into the church of reverence and fear of god lest he strike us down um solemn humiliation with fasting and thanksgiving upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner uh, I, I'm so sick and tired of hearing it's not religion, it's a relationship. No, it's both. Yes, we have a relationship with God, but that relationship by nature is religious. <laughs> oh, I wish our patrons could hear the sound effects I know. today. Soon. Um, right, pure and undefiled what? Religion, religion yeah. is, right? Uh, it's not the taking institute, care of the, the orphan. Christian relationship. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, th- there are rules. Um, Christianity, you know, a lot of times, eh, it's just a bunch of rules. Yeah, there are rules. There's rules everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what you believe. There's rules. Well, right. And the irony, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? The irony of people in our day and age saying, oh, the rules and this is not like, yo, have you seen yourself <laughs> and the rules that you make and say, well, thou shalt not tweet against... The, the homosexuals, lest thou be canceled. Like, like they're like, oh, you guys are so puritanical and you have rules. And I'm like, have you looked at yourself? Congratulations. 
you plagued yourself. Like, my guy, you're out here making up new rules and making up new religious... Well, Paul talks about that. He talks <laughs> about those who, who, right, who don't have the gospel. They still, or they, they don't know the law of God. They still make up their own law. Right. They apply it to others, but then they don't apply it to themselves. Yeah. Right? We're all guilty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there, there is True. rules. There is order. Uh, but for those who truly know Christ and who are in him, it doesn't seem like labor. Right. Right. There's, these are things that we joyfully get to part. We, we consider it a blessing to be able to partake in these things. It's like, wow, we get we get to pray before yeah. God. The God of the universe who created everything gives us his ear and listens to us. Right. We we have the pleasure to sing unto him. We have the the gift of his literally spoken word. He has given us his word and we get the we get the privilege of having it. I mean, have you seen the videos of these Christians in China when they get their Bibles? They're kissing them because they recognize what they have. Amen. So it is of tremendous blessing that we get to have these rules and these regulations that God has given us in order to keep us from sin and to keep us from falling away. Bro, are you ready to get angry? Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm not on Twitter very, very much. Wise choice. My wife is. And some of our friends. And so I see these Twitter things. And sometimes you see something so stupid <laughs> that uh, you just, you don't know how to respond. You just can't. You can't even. Uh, and so we're going to respond here. So this person apparently has a, a doctorate in something. I, I don't know what and I don't know how. Like people have educated themselves in idiocy and they believe their own drivel. So, so here we go. Uh, I'm about to feel dumber for having read this. Church services are traditionally super early Sunday mornings because sleep deprivation is a tool of manipulation. Okay, first of all. <laughs> no, wait, but wait, there's <laughs> no, no, more. No, 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 no. <laughs> so this person got dragged, as you do, uh, dragged harder than uh, Hector behind the chariot of Achilles. <laughs> Um, so she says, you know, holy crap, pun intended. There are a few things some people are misunderstanding that need to be cleared up. Traditionally equals used to be the norm, not necessarily for every church or every country. Getting up early for school or work is hugely different from Sunday church. I'm like, yeah, I get to sleep in on Sunday. Like, (laughs) where have you been? I get up way later on on the Lord's day than I do when I go to work. It's a day of rest like my dude and and also i'm like okay so i'm gonna so i'm gonna willingly voluntarily get up on my day off from work later than i usually do go be surrounded by people i love hear the encouraging gospel message of christ receive the ordinary means of grace that fill my soul for like an hour and a half and maybe two and a half hours if i go to sunday school first and then I spend time with people afterwards and then I go home and rest and, and rest in the Lord. And if there's evening worship and I can make it, I go to that. Like it is not this heavy, but this is, ex- that is exactly the mindset that we're driving against. Right. And that's very secularized, but unfortunately there's plenty of Christians who embrace that kind of mindset and uh, we need to repent. Yeah. Like you said, this is a gift that the Lord, the, the creator of all things, the God who is Asai, who is of himself self-existent, eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, sovereign, 
who spoke and by the word of his power, the universe was created, who condescended in the incarnation and the person of Christ and the second person of the Trinity and died on the cross for you and me, who is coming again in glory and is redeeming us by the work of the Holy Spirit, sanctifying us inside. And and we can't get up in the morning to go worship this God. No, because you're being manipulated. Come on, Blake. I mean, if they were talking about the flying spaghetti monster, you'd believe in him. (laughs) Sir, you are not a clown. You're the whole circus. (laughs) Yeah, I can't get over this idea that, first of all, what does that say about how lazy we are if getting up at, you know, eight, nine, sometimes 10 o'clock, depending on what church you go to, is getting up early? I don't know what job you do. Maybe post-COVID, you're sitting in your pajamas at 11 o'clock to start your job. Great. Good for you. But- Getting up at eight or nine o'clock in the morning to to go to church is not early. Well, even let's even go with it. Let's say church was at seven a.m. for some reason, and you had to get up earlier than your normal job. Okay, right. I, I didn't <laughs> realize. I didn't realize I was more manipulatable in the morning. In fact, studies have indicated that people do their best work in the morning, generally speaking, because your mind has just rested. You've been asleep. So it's actually brainwashed, Justin. This is prime time to go learn and be critical and have think, you know, think critically. Get out of here. Yo, I'm dead. Anyways, uh, I just wanted to, I wanted to roast that on air with you and share the, share the rage. Yeah, was, I saw that and I was like, (laughs) I wanted to be like, what in the jury Micah is this? (laughs) (laughs) If only, if only. Um, so we teased that we were going to talk about polity and we are almost out of time. So we will very briefly mention the differences between congregationalism and Presbyterianism. And we will save those topics for another day because we are running out of time. Um, so Justin, tell me uh, in, in a couple sentences, what is congregationalist polity in, in a creed of Baptist yeah, context? So I have a, I have a, uh, some notes here, a oh, man, but congregational church governance um, is basically this. Um, in a sense, it, it's democratic in some regards, right? In that the people have voices uh, of decision-making in the congregation um, and that there's no individual or group of persons uh, outside of the church that is uh, in control of your church. In other words, each church is uh, sovereign in and of itself as far as how it governs itself. Uh, the priesthood of, of believers in that church uh, will determine uh most things who, who's going to lead the church. There is uh, elder led. Um, there, there's sometimes a difference between an elder led and elder rule. Um, sure. Uh, I've heard the, the balance of uh, elder led and congregational rule. In other words, um, the congregation holds the, the elders and the deacons responsible uh, and holds them accountable. Um, but they submit themselves to the authority of uh, the elders and the pastor uh, who God has placed in authority over the church. Um, to lead the church and to guide the church. Um, and so, yeah, basically, um, basically it's just a way to govern the church that's democratic in nature and that the church in and of itself is, is, um, is sovereign in how it makes decisions. Um, there are organizations uh, like the SBC where you can, <laughs> where where you can join Sorry, and have uh, fellowship with those other churches, um, but they don't have any sort of specific authority over you. Uh, certainly, we believe that you should be able to go to other like-minded believers and yeah. maybe seek assistance. I, I think we see that in uh, I think Acts, um, but where you can you can go and you can count on other believers who may be different in some ways, uh, 
or maybe not, depending on where you live, yeah. um, and seek help and maybe seek um, perhaps refuge, depending on what the situation is. Um, and the, right, the, the priesthood of all believers, we, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be able to help one another and reach out to one another uh, in times of need. Um, but that the authority of the church is the church's uh, and not someone else. Um, I think there's, I think there's pros and cons. I think there is weaknesses in congregationalism, Sure, but um, I don't believe that we are to run the church based on what's most effective. I believe we're supposed to run it on what's most biblical. Mm. Um, and so strange. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> right. And so therefore um, uh, it is, it is messy. It is sometimes a difficult way to run church. Uh, but I think when it's done well, it's done really well and churches uh, thrive under it. Um, you know, it, I've seen, especially coming from a, a, a sort of an Armenian Wesleyan Methodist background, which is in some ways a little both. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you have denominational rule, but then there's also individual congregational rule. I want it all. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, typical Arminianism, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> low blow. So, uh, I, what I've seen and, and experienced yeah. is when when leadership denominationally goes so go the churches. And when there's a lack of accountability because there's this overarching rule, um, I I think that can, uh, with one or two bad people (laughs) or maybe a group uh, or a few bad decisions can really sway an entire denomination. Um, I mean, we've seen the the liberalization of a lot of Presbyterian denominations. um, And then we've seen the same thing happen with, with congregationalist churches that don't have accountability as well. Um, So, Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting right. You 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 saw with the PCUSA the right. really tragic intrusion of theological liberalism. Like yep. not not just like okay, we have different social views which are important, right? But the, but social political views like we're talking liberal theological in, interpretations of the text of scripture and right. turning aside from historic confessional interpretation, right? Right. And to your point, what is, what is Presbyterian polity? Here's your little primer from uh, from good old Wikipedia. But it, I, I thought this was a pretty good summation. So. Presbyterian polity is a method of church governance uh, typified by the rule of assemblies of presbyters or elders. And that's all, all like, Presbyterian is literally just elder-ruled, right? Presbyter, presbyters, uh, presbyteros, I, I'm saying it very wrong, I'm sorry, in the Greek for elder, right? Uh, each local church is governed by a body of elected elders, usually called the session. Though other terms such as church board may apply. In my church, it's the session, right? So there's the the session of elders who are, elected by the congregation to lead the church. These are men who both have the outward call of the church and the other elders, but also feel the inward call, right? So mm-hmm. people say, oh, I feel called to the ministry. Okay, well, what church is asking you to serve? And I, and I would say, baptistically, baptistically speaking, uh, the same sort of thing would apply as far sure. as how someone becomes a pastor. They should feel the inward and the outward call. Right, because um, if it's just the inward. Right, <laughs> right, right. The congregation should say, yes, we, we want to submit to this person as our elder because we believe they're called to do so yeah uh (laughs) groups of local churches are governed by a higher assembly of elders known as the presbytery presbyteries can be grouped into a synod and presbyteries and synods nationwide often join together in general assembly um responsibility for conduct of a church service is reserved to an ordained minister or pastor known as a teaching elder or a minister of the word or sacrament now something in the pca uh, my pastors are not members of my church. They're members of the presbytery, New York presbytery, right? Um, and they serve our church, 
but they don't make decisions. So one thing I like about a Presbyterian polity, and I'm sure there's some Congregationalist models that still follow this, is that the pastor doesn't doesn't become a tyrant. So if you have a bad pastor, you can mm-hmm. appeal to the session. If you have a bad session, you can, or the church is going awry, you can appeal upward to the presbytery. Um, and I think that there are, again, pros and cons to that. On the whole, I think yeah. it presents a lot of opportunity for accountability, yeah. and, it pre- and it helps to buffer against the single-person rule, which um, it says in here that Presbyterian polity was developed as a rejection of governance by hierarchies of single bishops in an Episcopal polity where it's top-down. Uh, but it also differs from congregationalism in which each congregation is independent. Uh, in contrast to the other two forms, authority <clears throat> in Presbyterian polity flows both from the top down uh, and, uh, wait a second, and from the bottom up. So from the top down, the higher assemblies exercise limited but important authority over individual congregations. Only the presbytery can ordain ministers, install pastors, uh, start up, close, and approve relocation of a congregation. Uh, but from the bottom up, the moderator and officers are not appointed from above, but are rather elected from and by uh, the members of the assembly. Uh, this theory of governance was developed in Geneva under John Calvin and introduced uh, to Scotland by John Knox after his exile in Geneva. Um, in, in, so. ma- in many ways, it is practically speaking similar to congregationalism, only with a, a, f- a higher ceiling. Right. You know, it, I, yeah. in a congregationalist setting, it is similar you you have sure. the elders that rule over the congregation, but you also have the congregation which elects its elders. Yeah. Um, and the pastor is not alone. Mm. He should not be alone. There should be a plurality yeah. of elders. Um, and he's Stephen held Furtick, right. <laughs> Mark Driscoll, Doug Wilson, <laughs> and he's he's held accountable by the other elders of the church. Yeah. And and anyone any deacons that 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 are there as well certainly yeah. would have if a, if a pastor is going sour mm-hmm. uh, would have the uh, the authority to call him out and and yeah. Uh, and again, in, in an idealistic way, uh, other congregationalist churches in the area should also be willing to step in and hold each other accountable. Right. Um, right. That's where you have like a, a, associations or different right. terms like Precisely. the Southern Baptist Convention is an association. The SBC just needs a reformation. That's all. That's it, my man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Our poor, help myself. our poor patrons have no idea what we're hearing right now. Uh, not yet, but soon. Uh, yeah, basically for, for you guys on the main podcast, we had a technical difficulty where our podcasting mixer isn't streaming to the computer. So the Patreons on the live stream are getting a really great picture, um, but they're only getting the audio from the computer. But I'm going to replace the file or, or upload a new one later. So you know what? They're still going to get the best of both worlds. Um, but yeah, the, I, I think that's the basic gist of what I wanted to get into, like we're going to interview some people from both traditions and try to get a a better grip on. And we have already touched on some of the other parts of polity, like baptism, like the Lord's supper and where we differ and why those things are different in each department. Sure. And (laughs) and one really important point of agreement though, right. Between particular Baptists and reformed pedo Baptists is only ordained ministers of the word or only ordained elders can administer these things. Right. So that the, which is another reason why you can't do these things from home. Right. Even if you are ordained, you don't get to to administer them to your own family like that. That's not the point or purpose. The point or purpose is to administer to the church. One thing I, I've noticed in our church that I like is the elders will come forth with the elements, distribute them to the congregation, and then they'll be seated and the pastors will serve and administer the elements to the elders. And then the pastors will sit down and then some of the elders will serve the pastors. Yeah. And I love that picture of the give and take of the shepherd and the sheep and the ministers and the elders. And just, there is a difference between administering them and distributing them. 
Right? For sure. You know, some people get super down nitty gritty oh, and they're yeah, like, yeah. well, why isn't the pastor handing it out then? Well, right, right, right. So. Well, and also, but, but, but also to that point, the elders are ordained, right? They're not, um, they're not just like a casual office. Yeah. They're, they're not, a, well, they're either not ordained a or, in other words, that the church has submitted to their authority. It's Correct. Not as though, yeah. Right. And, and I think it's a really important topic. So I'm excited to get into it um, yeah. in parallel with our Roman series and then we're going to be getting into Christology really soon, which like I am so, so stoked for uh, that. I have no idea how long that series is going to go, like our Roman series. 30 episodes. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. uh, but we got some other fun interviews uh, that, were, that were lining up, so stay tuned for those. Um, but guys, if you want to get more extra special content, if you want to see our faces, uh, get early release episodes, as well as extended conversations, you can join us over on Patreon. Starting at $4.99 per month, I grabbed the wrong slider. Uh, <laughs> you can join us uh, and you'll get all those benefits. And if you join us at $14.99 per month, you'll get additional bonus content. We're going to do some extra recordings just for our patrons uh, at that level, as well as a patron-exclusive coffee mug after your first three months. Um, and we are adding some new patronage levels in 2022. Stay tuned. We're, we're basically waiting on a couple of details uh, to confirm to make sure that what we're able to deliver at those higher levels is is worth the investment. So uh, we're very excited about that. And, and uh, we're just kind of waiting on a few tests to figure out what's the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be in the next month or two, might be later in the year, but it is coming this year. And we're also going to be working on some new merch. So you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, but Justin, if people want to engage, if they want to see my wife talk about whiskey tasting like nail polish and uh, see the great conversations that are happening about church polity, where can they go? Yeah, guys, join us on social media. Of course, we are on social media. This is 2022 and we are millennials. So head over to Facebook um, and join us. We have a, a page to like and a group to join. Please do that. Um, it's a fantastic somehow, some way. We've continued to manage the most sage stage reformed Facebook group on the internet. And I say that confidently. Uh, we, yeah, we have yet to have any dumpster fires aside from, you know, you people that like Fig Newtons. And so head on over there, uh, <laughs> join us on Facebook, join us on Instagram at distilling theology. Um, we don't really tweet, but sometimes we like to bash on heretics. So head over to at distilling T on Twitter. <laughs> and yeah, uh, other than that, um, you know, maybe, Depending on depending on how depending on how censorship continues to go, we may move to alternative platforms as well. Um, so just bear that in mind. You never Stay know tuned. what might happen, but um, but we yeah we're we're on the social meds, y'all. Social meds and social the Persians meds. and uh, guys, we're still members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reform perspective. I'm not going to list off the whole roll call, but you can find it at reformedpodcasts.com. Uh, check out the other series that are happening there from our friends. Uh, you subscribe to that, you get the entire back catalog of every show on there, every episode that they've released, um, which is hundreds of episodes of podcast content, solid, reformed, biblical, um, just really good stuff. And different from our show, like we're, we're the goofballs. We're the ones that have air horns, uh, and the losing horn from the price is right. And, uh, you know, dad jokes and. We've got all that craziness here, and, and I don't think you're going to find that anywhere else in the society. But that's okay, um, because they pr- probably present some more. Yeah, we're like that um, the ugly stepchild of the of the family. <laughs> we're something. But we're charming, so people like us. <laughs> that's it, man. That's what they tell us. So, uh, you know, it's been fun. I, I love recording in person. I hope we're able to do this more frequently. 
Um, and hopefully I can solve the technical difficulties uh, before we do this again. So it's been really fun. But Justin, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> <laughs>